We come together this morning to honor the God of heaven, our heavenly Father, and we're so thankful that you're here this morning to do that. We have a good many visitors with us. It's always good to see people who love the Lord and want to honor their heavenly Father. Our heavenly Father has also commanded us to honor our earthly fathers, and we'll be thinking about that some today in the lesson as we uh, consider the gift your godly Father really wants. Hard to buy gifts for your dad. I think it's harder to buy gifts for the dads than the moms because the dads won't tell you what they want. Uh, They're not cooperative with that sort of thing. Uh, And probably many of you have dads that uh, you would say, well, that's true. I can never figure out what he wants. He won't say anything. He says, I don't need anything or just get me some socks or something. And and, uh, that's, that's that's all good. But... We preached a lesson not too long ago uh, on Mother's Day about what your godly mother really wants, and so I thought I'd give fathers a fair shake and talk about what your godly father really wants. There were three fathers in a waiting room of a maternity wing of a hospital waiting for their babies to be born, and the nurse comes out and tells the first guy, she says, you got twins, congratulations. He said, wow, that's great. I work for the Minnesota Twins. This is wonderful. A few minutes later, another nurse comes out and tells the next guy, you've got triplets. He says, wow, I can't believe that. I work for 3M. This is perfect. The third dad then immediately just faints away out on the floor. And, you know, the people come around, they try to revive him. And finally, they get him too. And he comes too, and he's kind of sobbing. And he says, I work for 7-Eleven, you know. <laughs> so you, becoming a father is serious stress in a lot of ways. It's such a blessing and so wonderful. Uh, But there is a good bit of stress that goes with that, I can tell you from experience. And in a way, that's the way it should be. In Judges chapter 13, an angel had told uh, Manoah that he and his wife were going to have a child. And the child was going to be Samson. And uh, Manoah prayed to the Lord in Judges 13 and verse 8 and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you uh, sent, come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. What are we going to do with this child? That's the concern of the mom and the dad, and especially Manoah in that case. Later on, he asked the angel in chapter 13 and verse 12, what will be the boy's rule of life? What will be his work? What are we going to teach him? What are we going to show him? How are we going to direct him in life? Those are the concerns that fathers have because fathers shape their children And their children shape the world. And fathers are concerned about their children. In Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, of course the Apostle Paul writes that children are to obey their parents and the Lord for this is right. He goes on to say, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So we are to honor the work that God has given fathers and mothers to do. Mothers and fathers, though, have different roles in our lives, don't they? We don't think about them the same. We don't feel about them the same. Uh, if, you're, if you're young, they're both your parents, and you have a feeling that they're hanged up against you. <laughs> but your feelings about them are different from early childhood. And that is natural, and it's normal. Sermons about honoring mothers tend to be somewhat warm and sentimental. Sermons about honoring fathers typically wind up just telling the fathers what you're supposed to be doing. 
and not so warm and sentimental. But that reflects a little bit about the feeling that we have toward mothers and fathers. Toward mothers, the first thought probably has to do with affection. Toward fathers, your first thought might have to do with duty, with responsibility. And again, I think there's some of God's design in that. Nonetheless, uh, as I said already, we're going to preach a, a sermon this morning and talk about some things that were, are very similar to what we talked about concerning moms, but the role of dad is different. What, is, what does dad want? I'm sure all dads appreciate nice gifts at any time of year, frankly. Children, if you're listening to that, that would be fine. But what does a dad really want? What does a godly father really expect from his child? And it's really not so much, everybody needs to understand this at the outset, whether your dad is, is alive or he's passed on, if he's a godly father, it's not so much what he wants from you. It's what he wants for you. We have this idea that uh, our, our dads, you know, they just want to be our bosses, right? <laughs> That's, that's not it. As we'll see as we go through the lesson this morning, it's what your dad wants for you, for you to be and for you to accomplish. That's the most important thing. And so let's think about what a dad wants, what a godly dad wants. First of all, by looking at two people who weren't actually dads. Uh, the first of them is the Apostle Paul. Of course, Paul was an unmarried man. Uh, as far as we know, there were no children uh, that he sired in his life, but he was a father to many in a spiritual sense, you might say, and he viewed himself that way. I want you to turn over to 2 Timothy, and in chapter 1, Paul begins that epistle, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. So he, he views Timothy and others that he works with as children. Paul wanted for Timothy some interesting things in this text, and I think it reflects what a godly father would want for a true child of his. He says to him, first of all, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy, I want God's grace and mercy and peace to shower your life. It's a greeting but it's more than that, I think, as Paul speaks it as a father would to a son. But Paul wants Timothy to serve God with a pure conscience. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. You really have to kind of read that and conceptualize that all together. What Paul's saying is, I'm thanking God for you, I'm praying for you, I'm serving God, and my faith is in God, as was the faith of my forefathers. We sang that beautiful song, Faith of Our Fathers, and that's the concept. And not so much our physical fathers, but the fathers of faith, the fathers who were true to God in faith, who've gone before us. Paul says, I'm, I'm serving God by faith. I hold with a pure conscience the faith of my forefathers. And the implication then is that's what he wants for Timothy as well. For Timothy to serve God with a pure conscience 
as Paul had done, as their forefathers of faith had done. He wants to see Timothy. He says, greatly desiring, verse 4, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. I have had the experience a couple of times in my lifetime where my child is not near where I am. Maybe they're in another place, another state, uh, just across town. But they call me, and there's a problem, and they're hurting, or something bad has happened. And I don't want to be where I am. I want to be where they are. Timothy is experiencing tears. He's going through hardship as a faithful soldier of Christ. And Paul wants to be with him. And that's the thing about dads. We want to be there in the hard times. We want to be there to help out. We want want to do things that are going to make the hurt go away and solve the emergency problem. That's what dads want to do. They want to be there for their kids. Godly dads do. Paul wanted to see Timothy and spend time with him. And in doing that, experience joy and comfort together. Dads like to be with their kids, especially in the hard times. And especially when their help is needed. So he wanted to see Timothy. He gives thanks, as we've already said, for for Timothy's faith. But notice also that Timothy maybe didn't get his faith from his physical father, but from his mother and his grandmother. The faith of the fathers came to Timothy, as is often the case, through our our, our mothers and our grandmothers. And so he says to Timothy, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is also in you. You might remember that Timothy's father was not a Jew, did not probably know the God of the Old Testament as his mother and his grandmother did. But Timothy had learned the scriptures and learned about the God of heaven from them and learned apparently about Jesus from them as well. He wants Timothy to use his abilities to the fullest. He says to him then, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And here's something that every godly father wants for his child. He wants the child to use his abilities to the fullest. You just want to see your child grow in in their ability to serve God and their ability to function in the world, whatever it might be, and to use those talents that God has given them to glorify God and for the benefit of others. Timothy had some particular gift, probably a spiritual gift here. It was given by the laying on of Paul's hand. We don't know what that was, but it was an ability, and Paul wanted him to use it. And he says in verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of discipline. So be brave, Timothy. Go out in the world and use the gifts that God has given you to their fullest. Don't be fearful. God has given us this spirit of power and love and discipline or a sound mind. And he says then, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Godly fathers want their children to grow up. And be happy to be Christians. And be happy that the world knows they're Christians. And to proclaim that. Not to be embarrassed about your raising. Not to be embarrassed about your faith. Not to be fearful about sharing it with others. Godly fathers want their children to be courageous. 
and courageous in sharing their faith and being willing to suffer for that show the true courage of conviction. So these are some of the things that Paul wanted for Timothy and maybe you see as a father or as one who is thinking about your father today, maybe you see some of these characteristics in, in your father. Timothy uh, also saw himself as sort of a father to the Thessalonians as well. And he writes to them along this line in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look over there in verse 11. He says, You know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul wanted the Thessalonians to walk worthy of God. As I said, it's not, it's not what a father wants from you, it's what a father wants for you. He wants you to walk worthy of God, to be pleasing to God in the way you live your life, honoring the name of God as your father in heaven. And then he says a little later on in the same context to these same Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 19. He says, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. I don't like to use the word proud. I try not to use it. I think most of the time when we use it, it's not used in any sort of a biblically correct way. A lot of people say they're proud of their children, or their grandchildren especially. I don't like to say it that way. Um, you know, pride is an insidious sin, isn't it? We've talked about that. It sort of creeps into us, and we can have a wrong kind of pride even when we're thinking that our feelings of happiness are okay. Paul doesn't say in this translation, I'm proud of you. Thessalonians. They were his children. Did you see how he said that? He said, you are our joy. I'm glad to be the father of my children. And when they're walking worthy of God, they are my joy, truly. And he says, you are our glory, not our pride, but you are our glory. And our joy. But notice also he said, you are our hope. What Paul wanted, as he says really to them in this context, more than anything in the world, is to be able to stand with these spiritual children of his in the presence of Jesus Christ and experience eternity together. And I can tell you this morning, whoever you are, if your father's alive or dead, if he's a godly father, that's what he wants for you. To be in eternity in the presence of Jesus and for you to be with him. These are some of the things that godly fathers want. The second father we're going to look at that wasn't yet actually a father, in the sense of biologically at least, is Joseph, the father figure of Jesus. I'd like you to turn your Bibles over to the book of Matthew, 
And notice some things with me about Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. First thing that you notice is that Matthew begins with a genealogy. Luke doesn't do that. Luke waits to the end of chapter 3 of Luke to tell us the genealogy of Christ. But here Matthew begins with a genealogy. A history of the fathers, if you will, from Abraham down to Joseph. The fathers. He mentions a couple of the mothers along the way. (laughs) But it's a history of the paternity of Joseph. And he starts with Abraham, who would be considered the the father, the patriarch of the entire nation, all of the promises, all of that come through Abraham. He starts with Abraham, not Adam. Luke goes in reverse and goes all the way back to Adam, but Matthew starts with the father (laughs) of the nation, so to speak. And so you pick up the reading after he goes through all of that. He says in verse uh, 16 that Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. He's laid out all that for us. And then... The next verse, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. When Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about those things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son. Notice this very carefully. She will will bring forth a son. First of all, you're to take her to wife. You're, You're to take her as your wife. And she will bring forth a son. You with me? And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. It's a really interesting story. And it's really interesting that Matthew takes this tact in presenting to us the birth of Jesus. What he does is really showing us that God brought Jesus into the world through a virgin, through the Holy Spirit, but also that God arranged for Jesus from the get-go to have a father, an earthly father, who would be responsible for him from the very naming of the child. That's actually kind of the first thing that fathers have a hand in when, after the baby's born, right? is after after the child's born, here's the first fatherly duty. What are we going to name the child? God says to Joseph, the angel says to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. So Joseph becomes this earthly father figure for Jesus. And the reason that his name is Jesus, by the way, is Jesus means Savior. Jehovah saves. 
He's named that for a purpose and for a reason. We suppose perhaps that that Joseph is in somewhat of an unusual position to be called upon to be the father of a child that really wasn't biologically his. Of course, a lot of fathers are called upon to do that from time to time. But here he's called upon to do that by God. In a way, all fathers are like Joseph. Because what's true is that every child is really a gift from God. In Psalm 127, in verse 3, the psalmist says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with with their enemies in the gate. What a father knows is that his children are gifts from God. And that their future and the future beyond this father's life depends upon him. They're described as arrows. As if the father's shooting them into the future, so to speak. They are arrows in the hand of a warrior who's doing battle for God. So Joseph, Joseph has the most important arrow of all to shoot. The most important arrow any warrior ever had. Because you're going to name him Jesus. Because it is he who will save his people from their sins. I want you to know that every father feels a little bit of that. Feels a little bit about what is this child going to do in the future after I'm gone? What will the future hold for my children? And what will my children hold for the future? Every father feels that. Joseph takes care of business. He does as God has asked him to do. Joseph is the early protector of the child. It is he to whom the angel comes and says, Rise, in chapter 2 and verse 13. Herod has learned of uh, the king being born. The angel comes and says, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Later, Joseph learns Herod's dead and he takes the child not back to Bethlehem, the place of his forefathers where he had stayed some time after the birth of Jesus, but back to where he was before in Nazareth to be away from Herod in that region. And so I say that paternity, patriarchy, the job of fathers is a function of hope because it points humanity to the future. And the father realizes his part in what will happen in the future. I read a poem this last week entitled A Father's Hope. It was written by Stephen Winslow. 
my son, my spear, which I will hurl into the future world, my heart, which will keep on beating long after my body has stopped, my son, my flying javelin, throughout all of the coming tomorrows, you will carry your name and mine far along the flowing road of time. So my son, from now till then, and from here to there, I want to give you all that is good within me and none of the bad that could be me. Please, my son, on your journey through life and all your coming years, take all of my smiles and none of my tears. Take all of my strengths and none of my fears. Go with joy. Go be brave. Go with grace. Go with God. Those are the aspirations of a father for a child. What wise and godly fathers want for their children was fleshed out long before now and long before anybody wrote a self-help book about how to be a dad. Fleshed out by the wise man in the Proverbs most of which are written from the standpoint of a father to a child. I want to share some of that with you. Proverbs teach us that fathers want their children to pay attention to instruction. That's important. Not because fathers just are power hungry and, you know, control freaks and just, that's not it. Fathers want their children to learn what they need to do and what they need to be for the future. And so you turn to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. And then in Proverbs chapter 4, hear my children the instruction of a father. Give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Listen to what I'm saying. Take this instruction. Make it a part of you. And if you go through chapter 4 of Proverbs, it's over and over again. Please hear instruction. Hear instruction. Verse 3. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom and get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Listen to what I'm telling you. And in verse 10, Hear my son and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. See, he's thinking about his future life, isn't he? All the way through this. It's you, listen to what I'm saying. It's about your future life. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Keep her, for she is your life. What a dad's trying to teach his child is not about what we need to do in the moment. It's about what we need to do in the moment so we can live all the future like we need to live it. Your dad wants your future for you. You have to listen to him. In verse 20, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to their flesh. 
Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So what your father wants is he wants you to give him your heart for your future. Give him your heart. Go over with me to Proverbs 23. Much of this is echoed in these latter words. Proverbs 23 and verse 22. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she's old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Yes, wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who begats a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart. Give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. The temptation, especially for young people, is not to give your father your heart. It's when he tells you something that you don't want to do or that you think you know better than or you'd rather do something else or you think he's being an old fogey or you're thinking that's not the way we do it anymore dad or you're not up to date on what's going on or you don't understand my life and you roll your eyes and you think I'm not into that your father wants to be honored deserves to be honored but he wants your heart so that he can mold it for the future. A godly father wants his child to embrace a godly example, to look at his ways, observe my ways. That's what he says at the end of verse 26. Fathers want their children to be able to honor them and follow that example. Children's children are a crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. The glory of children is their father. As much as parents and grandparents glory in their children and grandchildren, children are to glory in their fathers. As I've talked about my dad a lot over the years in sermons from time to time, and and, and my dad was an uneducated man. He did not finish high school. He never did anything great as far as the world is concerned. He was in the army for 21 years. He retired from the army and became, after some other ventures, a school janitor. My dad was the janitor in the school that I went to for a while. My dad was a man of God. I glory in my dad. I tell people about my dad. I'm tempted at times to use the word proud when I'm talking about my dad. We need to honor our dads. We glory in them. I do so many things today because my daddy taught me to do them. I I think about so many habits that I have, so many things that... Many of you had fathers the same way, right? You, You just picked up their ways, you watched them, you listened to them. 
And that's the way you operate. Because that's the way your daddy operated. Remember my dad and I were working one time out in the backyard. And uh, he was teaching me to work. He did that really regularly. Uh, and I was, I was just, I was so tired. And I'd been on the end of a shovel all day. And uh, he also worked with me that day. And he said to me, he said, Steve, are you ever going to be the man your dad is? I said, I said, Dad, I don't know. But I hope I don't need you slave labor like you do. <laughs> but I learned so much from that. That's what your dad wants for you. He could have done all that work himself. But he's looking to your future. Fathers want their children to accept loving correction. Listen to the wise man back in Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Yes, fathers delight in their children, and they don't correct them just to be mean. They don't correct their children just to make life hard. Just like God corrects us, our fathers correct us. And it's not that your father does not hate you. I've, I've heard young people, you know, they, they get in trouble and they're in the doghouse and, and they'll, mm, my father hates me. Your father does not hate you. <laughs> your father loves you as much as anybody will ever love you. He's trying to make something out of you. Your future. Accept loving correction from God. Accept loving correction from a father as well. Lastly, fathers want their children to be wise. Wisdom is skill at living. Being able to make wise choices. Being able to determine, self-determine the path of your life because you have discernment. You understand how to make a proper choice, how to analyze something and go forward in a good way and commit to something and make it count. That's what wisdom is all about. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice. Proverbs 29 and verse 3. Proverbs 3 and verse 21. My son, let these things not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Your father does not want to control your life for the rest of your life. He does not want to always have to do your thinking for you. He wants you to listen to him and watch him and learn to live a wise and godly life for yourself. It will be, as Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21, like there's a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. In Proverbs 3, there is the essence then of what your father wants. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I don't know how many of you still have fathers living. Mine passed many years ago. But I know this is still what he wants. And every godly father in this room, I know that's what they want for their children. And mostly that's what your heavenly father wants for you. We're going to sing a song in a minute designed to encourage you to think about your choice and to make a choice to follow God and to be pleasing to him. Greg Chandler talked to us all this last week about those kinds of choices. Let's make the choice to honor our Heavenly Father and live for Him so that we might live with Him forever. We'd ask you to come while we stand and sing.